You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Some people swear that there's more to life than climbing. And though I'm skeptical, I think I know what they're talking about. The approach to and from the climbing. Which frankly, can sometimes feel like you're just walking. But then other times, you're feeling pretty gripped and wondering, is Anna going to be pissed if I make us break the rope out? Well, here's a pro tip. Anna's probably thinking the same thing about you. So why not end the game of who's the chicken chicken and just get the damn rope out? You can also let Sportiva hedge your bets with their legendary TX line of approach shoes. From the almost a climbing shoe performance of the TX Guide to the street comfort of the TX4 and the featherweight impeccable Descent Master TX2s, Sportiva's approach shoes are all built for the abuse a proper walk-up, top-out, and descent can dish out. But what's more, the sleek style will be a wink and a nod to those other climbers at that forced lowland social engagement who are also running beta in their heads while everyone else talks about work. So shop and compare the TX line at Sportiva.com or your favorite local shop and make your every step feel like an approach to adventure. Hey, 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 is somebody going to let me out of here? Hello? Does your neck hurt playing someone else's project? Does your partner get in way over his head even on the warm-ups? Does the phrase, I'll just do this move one more time, make your eyeballs spin? Then let Belay Specs fight for you. When my boyfriend started falling lower and lower on his project, Belay Specs saved my neck and got me a new boyfriend. Belay or neck pain, also known as BNP, can interfere with work, play, family, and snapping your head around at the gym to check out those abs. So if your neck has been injured in an epic belay session, go to belayspecs.com to see if you qualify for a pair of belay specs and to get what you deserve. Entry Normacast at checkout for a discount. Belay specs is not licensed to give legal advice to anyone. Results may vary by steepness. If belay specs cause you to trip, fall down, run into a door, nausea, dry mouth, you're probably too high to climb to begin with. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where you playing in town? You, you playing here? We're doing the... Uh... Enormo Dome, whatever it is, it's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place that side of town. That's a big nice. place. You sold it's it out. Out. I'll say, you really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having them with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Galus. It is April 1st, 2021, about 11 o'clock a.m. here in Colorado, and this is episode 217, I'm pretty sure. Let me check that. Yes, that's right. 217 of the Enormacast, a conversation with Michaela Kirsch, one of my new personal inspirations. Okay, so what's going on in the climbing podcasting world? Hmm, I wonder what's happening out there, if anything new is going on. Oh, that's right. Since everyone keeps trolling me about the Alex Honnold Duct Take Them Beer Produce podcast climbing gold, yeah, I know all about it, okay? Because you know what? Why not just tag me in like 400 comments about it, how... It's my end. It's the end of the Enormacast. It's all going down. Alex Honnold has come to destroy me. But you know what? I totally deserve it. Do you know why? Well, go back and listen to the Taps episode, and you'll remember why I deserve to be trolled. But this is only going to be good for me, because after 10 episodes, what's going to happen? It's going to be all these people like Jones and for Climbing podcasts. And then they're going to click over and find the Enormacast, and boom, millionaire. Because you know what I do? I keep doing them month after month after year after year. 
banging them out. I'm not going to quit you guys after 10 episodes. Anyway, with any luck, we'll get Alex back on the show to talk about his podcast. And of course, you guys know, if you're long-time listeners, I fucking love Fitz Cahal and the whole crew at Duct Tape Them Beer. Fitz was a great help to me back in the day, in the beginning. So anyway, good luck with that thing. And I'm also going to endorse a feed over at Instagram. A little feed that's happening. I don't think people have noticed it yet, but you got to go check it out. It's the Rock Hard Podcast. Not actually a podcast as far as I can tell, but uh, go over there and check it out. See what you think. It's my kind of humor. Okay, now that I'm done giving my endorsements away for free, now let's talk about Michaela Kirsch. Michaela and I had some problems connecting, and this one happened after I actually trolled her a little bit on Instagram because... I had talked to her before, and she'd sort of tentatively agreed to do the podcast, but we couldn't get it done, and someone suggested her as a guest, and I popped in there and guilted her into doing it. But it was a pleasure doing it, so I'm glad I got on her case, and it worked out. She didn't just shove me off. And yeah, we had some trouble connecting, which was the first time that's happened in a while. I thought I was getting this whole thing dialed. I've even been sending people microphones in the mail so that they sound better when they come on the internet there. And uh, for some reason, we just had some connection problems. I think maybe somebody living at Michaela's house was binge-watching Netflix or something every time we tried to connect. So we did finally get it done with a couple interruptions, and uh, it was great. It was awesome. I haven't talked to somebody with a healthier attitude towards climbing in a long, long time. And it's an attitude that Michaela came by kind of in a rough way. Her mother passed away at a very young age, and that's played very much into... Not just her climbing, but her future attitude about life in, a, again, a, a fairly healthy way, despite the pain that that caused. And Michaela brought it up pretty quickly in this interview because I knew that about her and I wasn't sure, you know, how that was going to come up. And, you know, sometimes I can be a total just climbing nerd in these things. And other times I feel a little bit like Oprah, you know, sort of mining the depths and seeing what we find. And Michaela was very candid and forthcoming about it and how it affected her life. And I think it's a really fascinating story. And probably going to be a help to a lot of people who have lost a loved one and had to go on and and learn from that loss and uh, honor the person that's passed away, which I think Michaela's in the process of doing all the time, but getting it done, even as a pretty young woman. And we don't end up talking that much about Michaela's climbing. You can obviously Google her and find out what she's doing, but uh, just to put a few points to it, she competed at a really high level, winning some national championships and competing in Europe, and then uh, was also knocking out hard roots in the red and elsewhere, including Necessary Evil, climbing up to 14C is what I could find as where she's achieved so far. I think there's a lot more to come from her. You know, quite an accomplished climber doing it all while, hell, becoming a PhD. And I don't think this is that important, but it is a curiosity that she's only 5'1". Which, you know, Lynn Hill is often cited as like a short climber who can crank. And Lynn Hill's 5'2". And when you watch Michaela climb in the videos, which I love doing because it's, it's an incredible thing to behold, the way she climbs. And uh, yeah, you could never tell that she's small because she climbs really tall and never seems to struggle to reach anything. So maybe it just helps to be incredibly strong and good at climbing. Okay, let's get to it. This one's going to help you get out of bed in the morning after listening to Michaela. Well, howdy, buckaroos. It's springtime, and them foals are kicking, and the sun's coming up earlier and earlier, which only means one thing. Your dawn patrol's going to have to start earlier, too. Let's face it, the only thing better than first tracks is first gram. That's right. Your sick shit should be the first thing them losers have stayed up all night binge-watching Tiger King see in their feed. Right as that first sip of joe from a to-go cup dribbles inevitably down their chins. Damn, they'll think. Sending V3 at 4 a.m.? That is sick. Well, Black Diamond has everything you need for a proper Dawn Patrol mission. Headlamps to light the hallway as you sneak out. The perfect layering system to peel when you start to get as moist as a newborn lamb. They got ski gear for skiers that aren't over it yet and climbing gear for overstoked climbers like us. And even bouldering pads. Because truth is, morning Mountain Dew sounds great if you want to punch your hand through a car window, but it sucks for actual pebble wrestling. 
So let Black Diamond sport your morning mania and that inevitable drop in productivity by 1 p.m. because they literally make every damn thing a climber needs except the caffeine. Wake up and head over to blackdiamondequipment.com or your favorite local shop for all the gear you need on your next dawn patrol. And you know, Black Diamond loves this damn podcast. Mikhail and I have been trying to connect for two weeks, and we just had another stressful 20 minutes of trying to connect, and we're going to keep our fingers crossed that this one is working. Um, You go to school online primarily right now, right? Yeah, I'm I'm doing a mix, so I spend a lot of time on Zoom these days, but we're actually getting to be back on campus in the hospital more frequently, which has been really nice. What are you going to school for? I am doing a doctorate in occupational therapy, uh-huh. which is like a cousin of physical therapy, but focuses more on meaningful activities that you do every day. So mm-hmm. for a lot of people, that would be like, eating, getting dressed, you know, being able to do your self-care routine, brushing your teeth, washing your face, all of that stuff. And um, it also includes things like participating in social engagements and conversations, family dynamics, like it's pretty all-encompassing across mm-hmm. the lifespan and across everything you do every day, which is why I like it so much. Like there's right. a lot of diversity in in the opportunities that I'll have in this profession. But obviously, I really want to connect it back to climbing and work with rock climbers because rock climbing is, you know, a meaningful activity to a lot of people, including myself. So when you commit to something as as deep as a doctorate, you better have like a pretty solid reason um, in your yeah. heart, so to speak, to to get it done or you'll end up miserable. So what what was the the focus there? Yeah. So that actually is not related to climbing at all. Climbing was sort of like what evolved after. But my mom was sick my whole life with cancer. And she was a patient at the hospital that I go to school at now, Rush University. And during her second battle with cancer, lung cancer, she was in the hospital for an extended amount of time. And the occupational therapists that worked with her really included me in her therapy process. And I was going to school across the street at the time. So they adjusted her schedule and like included me and were able to identify that having me be a part of her process was going to be beneficial for the both of us and and result in the best outcomes. And those clinicians were the most impactful in our entire, and I say our as a family, our entire healthcare journey with my mom. And so it really inspired me to be able to have that impact on other people and other families and children. So. Gosh, that's amazing. And, and she was sick for, for quite a while through your childhood. So um. my mom was a smoker and she started when it was cool and, you know, not a problem in her early teenage years and eventually developed lung cancer. And she was first diagnosed when I was three years old. And they gave her six months to live at the time. And then she miraculously overcame it about the time that I was in kindergarten. And then she just really battled with that addiction and could not quit and not for lack of trying, and was diagnosed a second time when I was in fifth grade. So that's around 2005. And then again, miraculously overcame lung cancer twice, went into remission, and then was diagnosed a third time about the time that I was in seventh grade. And she passed away from that in 2010. And you so, were, so I was 15 yeah. at the time of her yeah. passing. Yeah. So this is, I mean, that's an just a, a a very intense thing to think about uh, as a as a kid growing up. You do you have a is it a twin sister or just a sister? I forget. A twin sister, a twin Christina. Sister. Right. Um. Any <laughs> yeah. other siblings? Yeah. So after my mom's passing, the climbing community really supported me. It, it was a hard time for me, of course. Well, yeah, and- of course. I mean, fifteen year old girl is a hard time in perfect in a perfect setting, you know. Yeah. So one family in particular, this single mom and her two daughters, Nell and Pearl, 
they especially invited me into their family. And so now Sarah is like a second mother to me and Nell and Pearl, they're my little sisters. You know, we do spend Christmases together and everything. I mean, we talk every day, like we are exactly what you would imagine a family to be like. And I consider them blood and I love them unconditionally. So I have three sisters now. Oh, that's awesome. Three sisters. And then your dad just retired, you said, and, and moved to Michigan. Yeah, he's awesome. he, he's out of the city. <laughs> he's been waiting for this moment. He actually just retired around New Year's, so it was like a great new start for him, and and he's really excited. So Michigan in January. <laughs> I know. Well, it's nothing. It's nothing when you grew up in in right, Chicago. Right, right, right. You know? <laughs> is he into fishing? What's what's up in Michigan? What is he? My down dad. With he's there? such a sweet man. Um, he's <sighs> into gardening. And wants to get like a part-time job at the garden center and just like really do a bunch of landscaping. He got a new place up there. So yeah, he's living his best life. (laughs) Sometimes it can be hard to relax in the Mm -hmm. city, especially in retirement. You know, he just, he wants more space. He wants to go for walks and spend time Mm -hmm. outside. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, maybe that I grew up way up north in Libertyville which mm-hmm. is a very different thing than being in the city. And some people who live where you grew up, uh, much closer to, to deep in Chicago. When I talk to people and they're like, where are you from? I'll just say Chicago. But if, if it's someone from Chicago, they definitely raise their eyebrows. Like, I don't think that's where you're from. You know, like yeah. the North <laughs> suburbs are a very different place. My existence was different. So tell me a little bit about growing up in the city and how that ended up turning into rock climbing. Yeah, so I grew up in Bridgeport, which is on the south side of Chicago. It's where the Chicago White Sox Stadium is. So baseball was a really big part of my childhood. And my grandpa played AAA and my dad played baseball. So naturally, I was on a t-ball team growing up. And there came a time when I was around 10 where I had to sit my dad down and let him know that I wasn't going to play baseball anymore because I really wanted to focus on rock climbing. And that was a big transition for us, but we got through it. (laughs) Here's my Um, mitt. Here's my bat. I'm done. (laughs) No, we still, no, we still play catch. I mean, even now, you know, my dad, that's something that we bond over and, and we would still go to games and stuff. I mean, I love baseball. That's one of the hard things about Salt Lake City is there isn't like a big baseball team. It's, we have the bees, but it's not the same. <laughs> I mean, Chicago is just a, an enormously, you know, steeped in baseball. My my uh, girlfriend grew up north of you a ways, but um, in Hoffman Estates, but her dad was, you know, and that, that's cub country up there, as you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's the same thing. It's just there. It's so steeped. Everybody, you know, who grew up there and hit, her dad did as well. It's just like part of the fabric. It's it's pretty yeah. wild. Yeah. So the transition to climbing, I started climbing around seven. And it was because I was always up in trees, on buildings, climbing fences. And my mom in particular felt like it was kind of a dangerous habit. <laughs> so she wanted to find something for me to channel that energy, like an outlet for that. And they took me to a climbing gym in the suburbs. And I totally fell in love, joined the team, started competing and just never stopped. Now, when, when you were, you're growing up and, and, you know, we started this with talking about the heavy stuff, you know, you turned into this person that seems like a very giving person. You also teach youth climbing and stuff like that, but it was a super hard time. I mean, was there, was there times when, uh, you know, little Michaela was not a good and giving person as she was going through this? I mean, in terms of, of, uh, of your growing up or did. Did your family provide enough stability that you guys weathered it pretty well? I think prior to my mom's passing, she was such a strong role model and not necessarily strict with us, but had very high expectations and supported us in meeting those expectations. And after her passing, I'll say that is really the greatest gift that she could have ever given me is the experience of grieving her loss and finding who I was through that and, you know, really learning all the lessons that I learned and, and having a new appreciation for life at that young age. It was obviously the most difficult thing that I ever hoped to experience, but I feel that it shaped me more than any other experience could have at that time. 
And I think my twin sister and I, we did have that experience did not bring us together. It pushed us further apart. And so you bringing up, is there a time that I wasn't that giving? I feel like with her, that was the time for us. Like I just, I had nothing to give her at that. I I couldn't help her through it because I could barely help myself through it. And I think that because the journey was so different for each of us through that grief and that loss, it was hard not to compare where we were in the grieving process. And there were things that she struggled a lot with that I didn't. And I felt that my community did a better job of supporting me than hers did. She grew up in this cutthroat, competitive horseback riding community, which doesn't have a lot of the same qualities that the rock climbing community does. And I I felt sympathy for her, but I just couldn't it was I couldn't bring her into my fold. You know, she she's afraid of heights, doesn't like climbing, and was very invested in horseback riding and still is. So I think that was really hard for us. But our relationship is better now than it ever has been. Okay, great. Well, that's a good, another good sort of happy ending then. Um, But yeah, (laughs) you know, I, you know, I don't want to like to push your buttons too much, but um, you know, we, we started this, we were talking about your dad having been an elementary school teacher and I mentioned um, teaching high school. And so, you know, it's like, I have a bit of experience with, again, I made a joke about like being a 15 year old girl is hard enough without extra things piled on them. So I'm I'm a witness to what it is like to be that age, um, you know, just sort of post puberty or still in it, you know, post probably the hardest parts of it. But um, to to hammer you right then at 15 like that, it's just a, it's a, it's a hard concept to think about, you know, when you're just supposed to be like happy and living your life and being a teenager and doing all the stuff, you know. Um, And angsty too, though. I think that was hard. The hard part for me in hindsight about what I feel grief now looking back is that I was just getting old enough to start really appreciating my mom as an individual and not just as a provider to me and my mom. You know, I was starting to learn more about her personality and like laugh at her jokes and appreciate who she is and and why my dad loved her so much, you know, as a person. And then, you know, she passed. And I feel like I didn't get to fully experience who she was. And I hear stories from my dad, from coworkers of hers, people who knew her. And I have a deep sadness that I mm-hmm. never got to know her sure. like they did. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting how, like, there's a point where you realize that your parents had a past before you were born. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's a huge realization of like, which then makes you go on the track that, you know, in case your mom, like she was a young woman, she was a teenager, she had crushes on boys. Like, you know, it's just this weird, and, and that happens, I think to every kid at that point. So it's, it's totally understandable that at the dawn of that, or the, the first glimpse of that, that it, it kind of stopped in time for you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my mom, she has three brothers, so my uncles, they tell me stories at, you know, holidays and whatever. And and it's always fun to learn something new about her because I feel like I'm at this point where I just, there's not many new things for me to absorb. So I really cherish the the new stories and it just feels like I get a piece of her back because, you know, when, when your parents are alive, like my dad, I get new things from him all the time, sure. you know, He's new conversations. New things, yeah. Yeah, new experiences. Like now he's retired. That's a totally new journey for him. And we talk about that and like what he likes about it and why he doesn't. So I'm constantly learning about my dad. And that was stunted with my mom. Mm-hmm. So. Sure. Well, let's uh, let's move on from that. Um, one other thing, you know, when I talked about being this person who gives, uh, which is actually a, a real, I mean, at, at least from the outside looking in, you know, what I kind of gleaned about your experiences in my quote unquote research, that just kept coming up in my head, you know. And one of the things you did was teach kids at the climbing gym or climbing. Um, you were on a youth team early on as well, um, and that probably led you into wanting to do it yourself. So talk about that. Like again, you. You know, you created this community in climbing that became so important 
you know, a few years later. Um, so how did that start? So I was on the team and I'm, I'm still friends with most of the people that competed, you know, obviously a few drifted away, but like Isabel Faust, we grew up basically sisters, best friends. Um, she was on the team. So we were together almost every day. She and I were close in age. We just got to this age where it's time to start working, you know, like we needed jobs. We needed to have some extra money. So my coach, Dave, had openings to teach the other recreational kids, the young guys. And so both of us just started doing that and then teaching summer camp together. And I just kept going with it. And then the new gyms opened in Chicago. And so I was hired to be a coach at First Ascent and I kept doing it all the way up into the point where I started grad school. I just really don't have that much time for it now and I do miss it. But yeah, I always loved working with those kids and seeing them grow up. And now I see them at the gym and we can just session together and and they're so good and and sweet kids so it's been really rewarding yeah i mean and it's interesting because i think that like uh it it's you know fun to think about like oh she's teaching them how to climb but a lot of times i think in those programs don't you guys get pretty close with uh with some of the kids and maybe thinking about you know you as a role model to some of these girls and we're talking about you having gone through this you know, difficult time as a, as a teenager, um, being around those kids. I mean, aren't you observing those same sorts of things in their lives or was it pretty surface for you to just teach them climbing? You know, none of the kids that I was coaching, uh, lost a parent during that time, thankfully. And I think that would have been hard for me too, looking back, but yeah, we do go to the depths. It's hard not to coaching is so much more than just about getting better at climbing. You spend so much time with these kids and you're teaching them work ethic and discipline and time management and these social skills, these team building skills. And you develop like a really close relationship because you're this adult in their life that doesn't make all the rules and they can trust you with things and ask advice that maybe they wouldn't ask their parents, you know? And so, yeah, I feel like I'm going to be in touch with a lot of these kids forever. And and I still am. And and we talk about where they're at and they're they're I feel so old. They're all applying to college now and right. you know, growing up. In your social media, I've noticed that you have talked a little bit about um sort of women's body issues, you know, in, in terms of, of your own feelings about yourself, but obviously projecting that to shine light on on that sort of issue. And I think that when I think about, you know, I was a teacher of teenage girls, boys too, but you know, I've I've always thought about how like climbing can be, you know, this path to like appreciate your body, but also like your reference group, you know, if everybody around you is super fit and ripped and climbing, like it could maybe create a weird pressure on climbers in general, but again, young girls to sort of want to be like that and and wonder why they're not. Um did you ever sort of encounter that or 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 think through that as you were coaching these these kids to, you know, try as hard as they possibly could? I think that my approach to coaching was just always to remain super open with the kids so they could come to me with anything, you know, I whether that is and I'm experiencing difficulty with an eating disorder or how do you think I should ask this person out at school, you know, like I wanted them to feel like they could come to me with anything. And also I really try to lead by example and talk about those things with them. You know, this, you know, I don't, I don't support this behavior, you guys. Like I don't do that. I want everyone to be healthy and happy and comfortable with who they are and let them, I wanted the ch- the children to feel like they had my support, whether they were experiencing a really hard time or having these triumphs, you know. So I don't know. That's a, that's a hard one because at the same time, you don't always know what they are going through. And I'd like to think that I did, but there may be some instances that I just didn't. And whether that's with the girls or the boys. Well, let's talk a little bit about your own climbing then. Um, you know, you came up through these youth programs. It sounds like, you know, it was something that you like a lot of climbers I talked to on this show, it just like it clicked. It was this thing that that was important to right off the bat or felt good and felt fun. At what point did you start to think about moving out into that 
sort of the greater climbing world and, and starting to climb outdoors. Was that pretty early on? Did you get opportunities to do that pretty early on? Yeah. In Chicago, there's just this crazy community of people who drive down to the Red River Gorge every weekend. And they're so committed and they just do the seven hours. And Isabel and I, we were fortunate enough to be invited on those trips when we were young. And so we just got taken into the fold and started learning about projecting and climbing outside and ethics at the crag and manners and like what to do, what not to do. And we also did take a lot of team trips with our coach. We went to Bishop and Waco and all around Chattanooga, things like that. So I think having those experiences, that's what really opened the door for us. And the team environment wasn't about just exclusively climbing hard in competitions. It was just about having fun and being good climbers and doing you know, what we were passionate about, whether that was indoors or outdoors. So for Isabel and I, and I don't want to speak for her, but based on her career and, and what she's doing, we both gravitated towards the outdoors. And I think that having each other to, like we pushed each other that way, was really beneficial for us at a young age. So let me ask you about the 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 sort of getting into outdoor climbing and with your, you know, if your mom was still alive or or with your dad, you know, what were their thoughts about it's one thing to send your kid out to the climbing gym, you know, on sort of like youth teams that feel like an extension in a lot of ways of sort of a school environment versus like, okay, now my my sweet little girl's going to go drive to con- the woods in Kentucky and start rock climbing? Like, was there, you know, did you also have to sit dad down for that one too? <laughs> dad, I'm, go- I'm going south. <laughs> With these no. people that you got, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> There's a pizza so, place called Miguel's. It's fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, my, because the climbing team was so small and closely knit, mm-hmm. my parents were super comfortable with the coach, with the other kids, um, the adults in the community. And it was just this natural progression. And I was talking a bit about my mom having high expectations of us. One of those was that she wanted us, my sister and I, to be independent and be able to go on these trips and feel comfortable that we can you know, manage our money, manage our time, advocate for ourselves when we needed to. So I think in her eyes, this was all about the learning opportunities and the life experience that I could get from these trips and going and being safe and climbing hard and managing my expectations too. You know, there was a lot of of skills that I learned on those trips. And and I think that she had the foresight to know that that's what was going to happen. And it was safe because it was people that I trusted and my parents trusted and, you know, a good community. Well, yeah, I mean, I always ask that question because, of course, you know, the outcome in the end was that it was totally safe and, and these people were knew what they were doing and everything else. But that's not always like the perspective of a parent, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> and it sounds like they were fairly involved and so understood what was going on. But a lot of folks, you know, they're just sending their kid off to the gym and don't always have an idea even of what's going on. And then all of a sudden, you know, I've had talked to climbers who just, you know, folks at the gym invited them to go and all of a sudden they literally were just going with some random person that the parents were like wait a second like there's a 26 year old guy who and his buddy are going to take you where now exactly so that's why i kind of always ask that question sometimes it was a it was a bigger deal to to uh you know disappear from your parents into the woods so to speak so yeah i think they definitely had that a little bit but they they trusted my judgment too yeah, well, I mean that—that that, it's just like the family thing just keeps coming back up. I mean, it, you know, for for the difficult part of it, it, it still seems like there was—that's a big theme in your life. You know, having literally added a second family to your life, it sounds pretty important to you. Yeah, definitely, and I feel like I couldn't have gotten to this point without them. Mm-hmm. You know, family is one of the most important things to me, and I just feel so grateful and so lucky that my family was able to expand in such mm-hmm. a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. And, and I love them. You know, I'm, I'm, I could talk about it all day, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it's, definitely, yeah, it was definitely yeah. one of the most impactful things. And 
like I was mentioning earlier, you know, the greatest gift that my mom could have ever given me is that my family grew, you know, in that loss. And, and so did I. I mean, there's only two ways to go, I think. And, and, and that, that's, the, that's the positive one because there's, you know, nothing's going to bring the person back. So um, it ha- people have to keep living. So that's pretty special that you, you got to choose that path. So I had a couple other questions sticking with your climbing. You get to a certain age and, and you excelled. Obviously, you excelled at climbing. <laughs> you know, that's, that's pretty apparent uh, pretty easily by just researching on the internet. At what point did you, you know, start to feel, you know, to receive kind of like the greater climbing community's accolades, you know, maybe interest from, you know, outside people outside of your group? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, your community was always very much supportive of you and telling you that you were doing great. But then all of a sudden, people from outside that realm start to notice. What was that like? And, and when did that kind of start to happen? It was interesting because social media also expanded during mm-hmm. that time. And I think that was a big part of it. But definitely just climbing at the red and working my way up and, and starting to try harder and harder things, you know, 13s and then 14s. And I think that first it expanded within that community, which is still relatively small, you know, at the red or at the time it was, and now it's much bigger. And it really just stemmed from there. And then in my teenage years, I was also experiencing success in the competitions and making the US team and going to world championships and then competing in the adult nationals and making the adult team and placing on the podium. And, and it's sort of just, it wasn't like a breakout year. I don't feel like it was just this gradual growth and I was improving and I was improving outdoors. I was improving indoors and it just felt, felt natural, Mm -hmm. you know? And then also with social media at the same time, news of different climbers accomplishments was spreading a lot quicker because you didn't have to wait for the magazines to come out. I keep talking to younger climbers about this and how, you know, you had this kind of crossover period coming from one world to the other. And you mentioned the magazines and how different it was and how those magazines were literally the gatekeepers to who became famous, so to speak, or or how we found out about someone like you. And 25 years ago or 20 years ago, it could have been that we never heard of you, you know, and, and the, the social media thing is cool in that way of everybody can, you know, expand their outreach, but, um, it also comes with like the pressures that, that are involved with social media in terms of creating content and things like that. Were you able to maintain, you know, sort of a good, positive, humble attitude through the building kind of accolades and the building sort of fame that came with, winning competitions, climbing hard in the red, you know, those were some of the first things I heard about with you was climbing some 514s in the red rather quickly at times. You know, was it, were you able to kind of keep a perspective on who you were and, and uh, what it meant to be a climber? I hope so. <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> no, I'm well, I mean, <laughs> um, You know, I, I was a teenager, you know, and I was going through, I think what has been consistent through my climbing career is that I always had something else going on too, Mm -hmm. whether that was school or different sports, things like that, that were challenging me in different ways. And I think that's what has helped keep me more grounded is climbing Mm -hmm. has never been the only thing in my life. And there's always been different areas that I'm, I've had goals in and ambitions and I'm striving towards. And I think that's keeping that balance has been crucial to me. What other sports? Well, baseball, definitely (laughs) with my dad. And I played volleyball um, quite a bit. So I'm not very good at other sports, but now I'm learning snowboarding. Yeah, good place to do it in Salt Lake. The other question I have, and and maybe you sort of answered it in a way, but maybe we can go a little deeper, is that, you know, there's also in a lot of climbers' lives, especially someone who is self-aware of their talent, self-aware of their abilities, you know, there comes a maybe a point where it's there's a call of like, okay, well, you know, professional climber, or am I just going to hit the road and and go climbing in all these places? I mean, those are kind of like, you know, the two 
storied paths, if you will, or, or the way you're supposed to do it, whether you do it before college or after college or in college, or you don't go to college or, you know, there's the call of the road, if you will, but also that call of, oh, I've got a few of these sponsors and, you know, I'm getting this free stuff and, you know, maybe there's some money involved. So was there ever a decision in your mind about how climbing was going to fit into sort of your adult life? versus these other interests versus obviously a very intense schooling that you've been going through. Yeah, I it was always a plan to go to college and also to go on to graduate school. And I told you, you know, that healthcare inspiration started when I was a lot younger and I never really strayed from that path. It's something that's been really important to me and and that I wanted to do and so there's been different times in my life where climbing has been a priority and where school has been a priority. And I feel like the balance can be difficult. After high school, I took a year off just to climb because I knew that after that time, I was going to be committed to school and that was going to be my priority. So I never decided to be just a pro climber. You know, I think there are so many beautiful things about being a professional athlete and opportunities but for me, it was never going to be it. I always had this other dream, this bigger picture. And um, it wasn't really that difficult of a decision for me because I am just as passionate about this career path too, you know? And I think that I, I can do both. At least I'm trying to do both. And it's a give and take. Sometimes I'm really feeling really good about my climbing and sometimes I'm not. And sometimes I'm getting straight A's and climbing, you know, twice a week instead. And, and like, I am at peace with my own balance, you know, and I don't feel like I need to choose one or the other. And that was never the plan. That's actually one of the healthiest uh, things I've ever heard on this podcast, frankly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> around, at least around climbing and what it should mean to a person. And, because I mean, I'm not a proponent, you know, I'm not a big proponent of pursuing a professional climbing career for, for anybody because it's, you know, other than a handful of people, it's not actually that lucrative of a career uh, for one thing. And, um, and a lot of times it has a termination date on it for a lot of people, you know, um, whether your passion wanes or your abilities wane or, or what, or the industry changes, you know, there's all sorts of pitfalls. And the other thing that's interesting about it is that a lot of times you don't get to decide those things, you know, and obviously you can be fired from any job or you can, but you know, when you have a skill like you're gaining, like you said, the opportunities are, you know, mammoth compared to this very focused thing about climbing. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's really awesome to hear that you've got these dual passions and, and you, and you don't necessarily sit around lamenting your, you know, your fitness levels all the time and that sort of thing. Yeah, I say that I can only focus on grades in one part of my life at a time. <laughs> sure. Oh, that, <laughs> Not that I focus on grades exclusively in climbing, but I just think it's kind of funny to say. <laughs> so you just mentioned a year of climbing that you did kind of after graduating high school. Did you graduate high school earlier? Was that, did you bang out no. your undergrad really fast? I forget which one my, it was. I did my undergrad quickly. I graduated high school in 2013. And then I did some of the adult World Cups overseas and okay. moved to Boulder for a while. And okay. that's where I worked as a nanny and I worked for Team ABC coaching kids and climbed and had just some freedom, some time off school before going back to start college. What else went on during this year? Because it sounds kind of interesting. And I, and I believe I saw some footage from Oleana as well. Was that was that in that time when you were doing World Cups over there? How did that work into the situation? I went to Oleana, I think, three years ago now. So that oh, okay. was, I don't know if I was in, co I was in college. I think I was in college. I don't know. See, I'm getting to this age where it all kind of starts blending together. It's awful. <laughs> but during this gap year, I went to do the World Cups in Germany and Austria and France with this girl, Tina, who's on the Norwegian national team, we just rented a car and drove around Europe. It was great. <laughs> and then came back and moved to Boulder. And um, yeah, it was nothing crazy serious. And I didn't have any amazing accomplishments. But I just 
appreciated being able to run my own life for that time. And there was no pressure. I didn't put too much pressure on myself with my climbing. I obviously wasn't in school, so I didn't have that pressure. And it was just a nice breather. And then I sometimes feel like I thrive when I have more things going on. So when I started college, I really got into a routine. And that's when I started doing a lot of the harder 14s at the red, like the golden ticket and pure imagination and, and all, you know, all the climbs at that level. I think that's not unusual for some people to create focus out of being more busy and more pressure because you can't just like flit away the time. It's super important that you uh, that you get it done. In Chicago, you just train at the gym during the week and you look forward to those weekend trips like that fresh air, that fresh Kentucky air. Um, so I was really motivated during the week because I was projecting on the weekends and it's hard to leave, you know, when you're like so committed to something. So I was working towards something every single day. And I think that was a big contributor towards my success during that time. Was there ever like the call to the hedonist part of the, the climbing life um, that yeah, I think is like the red is, you know, pretty well known for and, and the sort of the outdoor climbing community? Um, or were you able to just like, that's not my path. That's not what I'm interested in. You mean just like living down there and doing that life? Is yeah, that yeah. You, you know, um, and partying at Miguel's and all that sort of thing. I did my fair share of that, but I was never. <laughs> 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 I did. I did spend a summer at Miguel's, which was like, okay. it was so much fun, but also just hot and humid and miserable at the same time. <laughs> but no, I just, I always had a plan this like greater ambition. And I know it's sort of unusual, but I really never strayed from that path. And I can't exactly put my finger on it, on it, why that was and why I never really gave into these like, you know, living at the red sort of lifestyles. I just, it wasn't for me. And I was totally happy just going on the weekend and trying my hardest for two days and getting my pizza to go on Sunday and, you know, heading back to school life on Mondays, sure. you know, that's why I, mean, I, th I think worked. you did put your finger on it. You know, your, your mom, I mean, it, it, to me, yeah. you know, having talked to you only for this 45 minutes, but I think that's, that's where you put the finger on it. You know, this, yeah. there, there's this, what she instilled in you. And then, you know, now what you feel probably should honor her memory as to what you're doing now. Yeah. And, and she had an amazing professional career where she um, went to night school to get her bachelor's degree and then had twins. And she worked her way up in 15 years from secretary to CFO of the nonprofit that she worked at. You know, she is like such a great role model for me and to like see such an empowered, strong woman and she definitely instilled a lot of that. So how how long you got? I mean, what what what's the school trajectory right now? <laughs> so actually, I mean, is it in one the of these epic things? <laughs> oh, I've been I've been in the program for quite a while, but it's it's about three years, and this is my last semester of didactic coursework. So my last classes end in three weeks, and then I just start my fieldwork rotations and my doctoral project, which is you know, basically like a residency and I'm done next April. So April of 22. Okay. And what's your prospects for your residency? So I'm starting in acute care in April, this April, and I'll be on like the gen med floor and the spinal floor and the non-surgical ICU. And then over the summer, I have a bit of a break from that. And I'm just in like this online leadership course and working on develop, further developing my doctoral capstone project. And then in the fall, I'm going to be doing a hand rotation. So this is where I think that occupational therapy really connects with climbing is in hand therapy and hand rehab. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then my doctoral project. Where are those project, things going to happen though? That's here in Chicago. Oh, Both of those it's are in Chicago. There. Yeah. And then my doctoral project will take place in Salt Lake City. So I'm okay. excited for that. That's working out then then for you. You have a house out there and um yep. chickens. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Definitely got chickens out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I miss the chickens. Uh not a lot of space there in Chicago for chickens. Oh, there are, is that like a hipster thing there, having chickens in the city? 
There are definitely people who have chickens here in yeah. the city, but I live in an apartment <laughs> complex, so there's no room for a coop. <laughs> I do um, miss them. <laughs> so, yeah. So let's talk a little bit at the end here about, you know, your sort of influence. Uh, you know, again, social media is a lot, allows people to have this voice out there. Um, you know, people enjoy watching what you're doing, even though, you know, you're not like a serious professional climber you've got a following and and you still got sponsors i believe and so let's talk a little bit about that influence and what the the feelings around that are are you very interested in that influence do you kind of pay lip service to it um and what do you think you try to do with your your social media and and what you want other climbers to take away from who you are and what you do as a climber i definitely appreciate the platform that i have on social media and i appreciate that I can do good things with it. And the way that I present myself can have positive or negative impacts on other people. So I try to be really conscious and aware of that and be open about who I am. And I hope that, you know, you and other people feel like when you're on my social media account, it's really me and it's not just an act, you know, and I do talk about like my insecurities on there and things that are hard for me. And things that I'm proud of or that I'm good at, you know, but I do think that there are opportunities for growth in my social media. I think I can do things better and and have more conversations and broaden that platform. Sometimes when I have a lot going on with school, it does, I do take a step back from social media. I don't feel like I'm great at it, you know, like creating content and writing captions and stuff. It doesn't come so naturally to me. So sometimes I can feel like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know if I have time to say anything this week. So I feel like it definitely comes in waves depending on what else is going on in my life. But I don't, I don't hate it. (laughs) And I don't like, it's not the end all be all for me either. I don't like super, super love it, but um, I'm appreciative of it. So what would your, you know, if you had any sort of nutshell advice, uh, you know, for young climbers specifically, I mean, particularly, let's say a climber who's at this, this decision point about, you know, what climbing is going to mean after youth, you know, it's always been something that I'm kind of aware of is that, you know, if you're on a youth team and, and, uh, climbing in a gym or even like, you know, doing weekend trips with the youth teams, it's like somebody else is kind of driving your a lot of your motivations or, or you're facilitating how you climb. And there's a decision to be made after that, um, about what climbing is going to mean to you as an adult, because, you know, that sort of structure falls away. And I think a lot of kids actually stop climbing or it peters out in their lives without it. So, you know, what's your advice to folks who are looking at thinking about like what climbing is going to mean to me and how should it fit into my life after, after youth climbing? Well, I'm not sure that there is any like scoping advice because the path is different for everyone. And and what worked for me certainly won't work for everyone. Um, But I think just really looking and it's hard. It's hard at that age, too, to look so long term, you know, but what what do you want? What do you see for yourself in the future? And I would never want to squash anyone's climbing dreams. You know, I think it, it is a beautiful sport. And if you can push yourself to that tippy tippy top level and you want to, then go for it. If you can, if you have the resources and the time um, and the support, you know, why, why wouldn't you, if that's what you're passionate about? So I think just like really being honest with yourself about what you want from life and just following whatever direction that may be and whether it's climbing or not, or both, you know, just being, I think, just being true to yourself. So what do you think your climbing looks like, uh, you know, a, as you, I don't know, I mean, it's hard to say what your time situation is going to look like, um, but I would hope that after, you know, you get done with school and you and you start to choose a career, then you'll have a lot more choices about how you manage your time and, and what your focuses are. But what does your climbing look like coming up? Are you interested in continuing to to push grades once your other grades aren't so important? Um, are you <laughs> interested in expanding into other realms of climbing? I mean, you're just so, you know, one thing I'll say about your climbing that I see anyway, is just, I mean, the, the, the talent 
like just pours off of you when 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 you watch someone like you climb it never looks desperate you always look like you're you know having a good time and and appreciating what you're doing and it's it's infectious you know i made a joke or i said something about um having an interview set up with you with a friend of mine we were climbing on the moon board and both of us decided that the rest of the session we were going to like try to look more like you um when we were climbing because <laughs> you know we're we're so desperate um obviously we weren't able to accomplish that very well but it just became this joke like because when i said it to this friend of mine mary she was like oh i love her i just love her stuff and it, it's just so much you know potential still left there as far as i can tell so what does it look like to you um as far as climbing in the future Oh, thank you. That is very kind. <laughs> um, I definitely, I think naturally I'm a very driven, ambitious person. So I definitely want to keep pursuing climbing and I don't feel like I've reached my full potential in climbing yet. And I, I would like to see if I can or see what that is, you know? Um, so definitely I'm, I'm not done. That's for sure. And I, I want to push it further. And I, I'm not sure if that's going to be through competitions or outdoors or both. Just going to kind of see where life takes me these next few years. Um, and yeah, so definitely going to keep up with it and, and keep striving. But I do, I'm always going to have other things going on in my life too, you know, and I try to honor that as well. So what, uh, what would be like a, a dream? What would be like a dream route out there, a dream place to go for you uh, coming up here in the few, next few years? Dream place. Well, I've always wanted to go to Croatia and see what the climbing is like there just to experience it. And of course, I want to go to Rocklands. I haven't been there yet and it just seems so amazing. But I think that for me, that's constantly changing, you know, and I'm constantly seeing places that I'd like to visit and routes that I'd like to to climb and it's not necessarily about the grade but there's just so much more for me to do in climbing you know boulders and sport and there's a lot of people who really think that I should give trad a try but I'm a little bit more hesitant with that one well that's funny because this is gonna be my Maybe. next question not necessarily oh, really? drag climbing but but uh but big route climbing I, I I think like more and more in my mind like the trad sport sort of distinction has in a lot of ways, just kind of fallen, fallen away because people approach gear climbing, quote unquote, track climbing, you know, as sport climbs, certainly, you know, you, you find a route and you figure it out and you get the gear sorted and you try it over and over again, just like a sport climb. So, um, but big route climbing is always interesting to me. And there's been such this, uh, explosion, I think in the last few years with women climbing hard, big sort of blue collar kind of routes. All around the world, but on El Cap, I mean, thinking of, of course, Emily Harrington, who's, you know, just like the the sort of queen of that at the moment and um, so strong and came from the same background that, that you have almost literally, you know, other than it was in a different place. I am open to the idea. I, I'm i just <laughs> such, I'm, I'm such a beginner in that right. discipline. I mm -hmm. have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> so it would definitely be a learning process and I'm open to it. And I just haven't had haven't created those opportunities sure. for myself because there are other, there's always been other things that I'd, I'd rather focus on in the immediate, but yeah, I definitely would, would explore that. But I do have to say like, I am kind of a weenie, like that stuff is scary, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You can ask Nina Williams. She's always doing all these like crazy highballs and whatever. And she tries to like get me to go up the flat irons with her and like, do the Southwest Rat and Bishop. And I'm just like, not, I don't have that same mental toughness that some of these other people have. So that would definitely be something that I would have to work on in order to get more uh, into those disciplines. Well, certainly. I mean, it's, it's also like a reference group thing. Like, you know, you're in Chicago, you climb in the gym, you go to the red, you sport climb. And, and, you know, I think probably every once in a while, if people fire out to devil's tower but um maybe you never got invited on those trips but um <laughs> you know but and, and but i think when you move to salt lake i mean you certainly be able to find uh you know some some folks to maybe you know start checking it out you know and again, yeah like i you definitely gear climbs like sport <laughs> climbs and and see what's up i just i 
I am not seeking it out. You're right. right. Okay. Well, once people <laughs> hear this, you're going to start getting emails. Yeah, I know. Like, hey, I got <laughs> this trip me up. planned. <laughs> but just know, just know that I am coming to the table with zero skills in that regard. So I'm going to have to need, I'm going to need someone with some patience. <laughs> yeah, certainly. But I mean, obviously it's, it, you know, talking about like being honest with yourself about what, you know, you want to do with climbing is it's, that's a good place to be. Like if you end up dipping your toe and you're like, you know what, this isn't for me. Um, you know, because I think there is, you know, again, back to pressure, back to sort of expectations from society. Like we get excited by your climbing, watching it. And then I always like, I'm doing the sort of like projection for you of God, what if she, you know, <laughs> God, she's so strong. What if she tried this or what if she tried that? But it's all my, you know, it's basically like by proxy going like, I wish she would achieve these things that I can't do kind of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah, but I, it's fun. It, it's still fun to think about it for, I think, people watching you, like where could she apply this talent and, and change, you know, change climbing, change the face of climbing a little bit. So um, yeah, but no pressure, right? <laughs> yeah, no pressure. Just change, change climbing altogether. Change the face altogether. of climbing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, it's just like we're all sort of dreaming, like I said, about the things we can't do. <laughs> yeah. So I appreciate it. But uh, so thanks again for sitting down. We had a really hard time getting this done, actually, technically. Um, it's been oddly difficult, even after I've gotten some experience with this stuff. So I appreciate your tenacity and in, in getting it done. Yeah, no problem. Um, I had a really good time and um, felt like I could open up to you. So I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. And thanks for talking about your your youth. I mean, it was a, a difficult time for you and it, it feels like you've healed pretty well. Um, but thanks for talking about that stuff as well. Yeah, definitely. That's one of the things that I feel like I can talk about the most and, and it's easier for me just because that's me. That's my story. And, and that's what, you know, who I feel like I am. Well, it's another thing that you can put out into the world that literally is going to help people, um, you know, understanding that those things, we can go through those things and come out on the other side healthy and, and pushing forward and having good memories. And I mean, it's a, it's a tricky thing and it's hard for people to remember that when they're in the grieving process. So yeah. I certainly think that putting it into the world is is going to help people. Yeah. And I hope that I don't give the impression that it was just so easy for me and so effortless. Like there is definitely a lot of, you know, deep and dark times in there, but I did, I did work through that, you know, and sort of like just navigated as best I could. And I think it is important to also acknowledge that there are going to be really hard times, but you can make it through those. Well, thanks for the inspiration, Michaela. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> All right, folks, thanks for listening, and thanks to Michaela for getting that done after multiple attempts. Perseverance, it's just part of what she does. Okay, and persevering is part of what I do here at the EnormaCast as well, but I can't do it without your help, so please consider helping out. Go over to EnormaCast.com and click on the Help Out tab and see what you can do to help the podcast by doing a little promotion for me or even contributing if you feel like it. I'm pretty sure the Help Out link works. I better go check that. Sometimes things just break at the website and no one bothers to tell me. And then I find out and I wonder, wow, how many donations did I miss because this thing's broken? Anyhow, go check it out. Help out the podcast if you feel like it, if it's given you the kind of inspiration I hope you got today from Michaela and it's worth something to you. Right on. Okay. It's beautiful here in Colorado. I hope it's beautiful where you are. It's springtime. Gosh, is springtime the best? It's best for backcountry skiers, although it's not quite green light yet, peoples. It's best for rock climbers. The ice climbers can still go high and into the deep, dark gullies and find their shit, too. So it's a good time. Good time to be alive. The spring. Or the fall, if you're in the southern hemisphere. Both good times. Hell, fall's even better. Okay, remember to check your knot, everybody.
Check it. Check, check. Okay, that's going to be better. We're going to go right down here. They got ski gear for skiers that aren't over it yet. <laughs> they got ski gear for skiers that aren't over it yet. And climbing gear. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> <All right. laughs> 